Listener supported. WNYC Studios. WQXR. In conversation. I guess it was about a year ago, I was reading this interview with Icelandic pianist Vikingur Olofsson. What he said was, we're in a golden age for classical music. Forward to today, it feels like a completely different age. So many people wondering about their own future, the future of the arts, future of our society in general. Well, Vikinger is one of WQXR's 20 for 20 artists. He's renowned for his interpretations of music by Philip Glass and Johann Sebastian Bach. But for the last year or so, he's been focusing on music of French composers Jean-Philippe Rameau and Claude Debussy, both of whom are celebrated on this latest album, which is just out on Deutsche Grammophon. This is WQXR Classical New York in conversation. And we're sitting down with musicians, artists, performers, talking about their new music, their craft, what they're working on and listening to. I'm Terrence McKnight. I'm the evening host on WQXR. I had Vickinger in the studio a few weeks ago talking about his love for these French composers and for their musical connection, despite writing music almost 150 years apart. This is a pianist here in our studio. His name is Vikinger Olofsson. He's got a new record. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to try to talk him into going over to the piano and playing some of it for us. We've got music by Claude Debussy and Jean-Philippe Rameau, who wasn't, I, I guess I should say, he's probably more known for his operas than he is for keyboard music. He was living in France. Can you talk a little bit about Rameau? Yeah, I hope we change this fact that he's more known for the operas. The operas are great, but so is the keyboard music. And the keyboard music is really, he was really one of the very best keyboard composers of, of the Baroque period. He was up there with Johann Sebastian Bach. And in my opinion, I prefer Rameau to even Scarlatti and Handel. Bach is the only one I put above him. So, so I love him. And I've had this year of just playing his music nonstop and then recording it, you know, on this album with Claude Debussy. And it's been one of the most fascinating projects I've done because some of the music I think has almost never, maybe even never been recorded before and released on the modern grand piano. It's been done on the harpsichord, perhaps, some of it. And, and, and other things, you know, have been done, but, but in very specific ways. And, and there's so much scope for discovery with this music. And it's so rare that you find something that is, well, sort of relatively little known and at the same time truly great. You know, so very often you find rarities and obscurities that are very interesting and maybe good, but not great. Now I'm looking at your records. Do you have um? Do you think it's important? It looks like you're tying the past to the, perhaps the present, or like for example, Rameau and Debussy. Mm. Are you finding some connections in their sound, in their colors? They're brothers. Yeah, I think so. They're musical brothers separated by 180 years, but Debussy loved Rameau more than almost anyone else. And, you know, he wrote a famous piece, Homage à Rameau, that is on my album, the last piece. 
but more so Debussy had to make a living because he didn't really have so much money as a, uh, you know until quite late in life so he was a critic and he would when he would write these reviews about Rameau's music it's absolutely gorgeous and in one of them he writes you know Rameau is becomes our contemporary you know and it shows you know Rameau as this kind of futurist and it also I wanted in this album to show Debussy Kind of, you know, in a different light, I hope, than it's usually portrayed. Usually you have Debussy and you think like space and color and this kind of timelessness, impressionism. But he didn't really see himself as an impressionist, really. He resisted that term. And he was equally impressed with Japanese prints. And he was very much interested in the past. And, and, and he worked so much with Baroque forms, Debussy. So in a way, I'm showing Debussy as, you know, looking back and being, you know, having his deep roots in the Baroque. And I'm showing Rameau as a, as a futurist, if you wish. When you're looking at Debussy and you look back to Rameau, do you find that Rameau addresses some of the more advanced harmonies that Debussy dealt with, or is it just basic tonal harmony? Well, Rameau is kind of like the father of harmony, father of French harmony in any case. And he wrote this like book about how you should you know, treat harmony and how you should write music. It's a very famous book, very difficult to read it. He was not a great writer, but the ideas are very strong. Debussy, on the other hand, he was kind of an enfant terrible, you know, he wanted to change things, stir things up. He thought the music scene of his day was tired and people were just writing music on, you know, sort of automatically into a tradition. And he wanted to break up that tradition and do things his own way. So he's very French in that regard. And he basically goes, completely turns harmony around, the harmony that, you know, Rameau had sort of like founded, you know, 150 years before. And goes only by the law of pleasure. I think he's quoted to have said or written somewhere. It's beautiful, isn't it? But meanwhile, even if he's breaking all the rules and, you know, he's always looking back to the past and he's using this kind of like Baroque structures as vehicles for his very progressive harmonies, you know, and his musical thinking. So, so, so in a way, uh, I think this relationship between them works for me so naturally and the way I've done it on the album and it took me months to form and then finally to record is to hopefully do it like a dialogue so it's just like you and me right now so I say something you listen and then you say something I listen then we add something to the conversation so they're like two composers listening to each other and commenting after each piece advancing the dialogue so the pieces have a very logical sort of, you know, flow from one to the next. And sometimes I think people might not know who is who for the first few seconds. Is there anything you enjoy as much as you do talking about music and playing music? Yeah, being with my 10-month-old son to be get a little sentimental here, absolutely. And with my wife, uh, but no, music is my—it's my great passion. Yeah, and your mother, your mother had something to do with it. I think so, and my father as well. He's an architect, but also a composer. That goes very well together, actually. Mm-hmm. Who was your first piano teacher? My mother. Yeah. I want to get back to these early lessons. 
when you think about, you know, just starting out, you know, at the piano, taking lessons. Describe that scene for me in your home. Yeah, now that I have a boy myself, a small boy, um, I admire my mother for having been able to teach me because the the parent-child relationship is so close that it's, you know, you, you obey your mother in a very different way, but you also allow yourself to do things with your mother that you would never do your, you know, piano teacher, you know, downtown. So those were beautiful days. Um, we would have... We lived in a very small flat in Iceland when we moved back home, but we had a gorgeous Steinway grand piano, a new piano. So basically, my parents got a little bit of money because my father's father passed away tragically early uh, in 1980. So they got a little bit of inheritance. Uh, and the beautiful thing is that they spent all of the money and then some uh, to buy a Steinway grand piano, Model B, in Berlin before they bought a flat, before they bought a car, before they bought anything. They had this incredible instrument that was so way beyond anything else in their lives in terms of what they possessed. And then we moved to Iceland and we lived in a tiny basement. I think all my, yeah, all me and my two sisters were in one room and the living room was quite small, but there was the Steinway. And it just, it just became the center of the home. Mom, mom would be teaching all that Steinway. It was just incredible. And I'm so thankful to my parents for having made that choice, you know, because I think the vast majority of people would never buy such a great and extraordinarily expensive instrument before they even had they had a home. So so that really affected, you know, who I am today and, and, and my path. And, you know, imagine my mother teaching at home, you know, the entire day while also taking care of me and my sisters and I was home, uh, listening to these lessons. And then at the end of the day when the last student is, you know, has left, of course, she has to make dinner and all the things you have to do as a parent, you do the laundry, all these things, clean the house, try to keep some sort of an order. And then she would also teach me. I mean, how how exhausted must she have been? Yeah, and I'd, I'd imagine you have a deeper appreciation for it now that you're going through it yourself. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. absolutely. So over these 10 months, what has your son seen? Yeah, a lot. Uh, he came with us to, to London. You know, I got this gramophone uh, prize. So we took we took him to London. I had a very nice weekend. I took him to, we took him to Japan for a tour. Um, it was very interesting because in Japan, He's a very big boy, so so he looks like, you know, he, he was only at that time, it was in December, so he was like seven or eight months old. And, you know, he looked like a Japanese one and a half year old. <laughs> so everyone thought he's much older than he is. And he saw Japan and, and, and it was beautiful. And uh, he seems to be a ladies man. He's always, <laughs> always interacting with various ladies everywhere. <laughs> it's very beautiful. Um, so, yeah, and, and he's seen quite a few things, but I mean, my, my best times with him are maybe at the piano. Um, it's very nice. I'll sit down and I'll play some sort of bluesy or jazzy, I should say, harmonies, very soft in the bass. And he'll just sit in my lap and, and improvise on top. I mean, just, of course, kind of bang the piano. But if I play soothing enough harmonies underneath, it usually turns out very beautifully. Yeah, man. Well, let's get you over to the piano. You can play whatever you want to play. I can improvise a little bit. Do you want to be like my boy? (laughs) We can see about that. (laughs) Vikinger Olafsson is in our studio. He's going to head over here to the piano. You're listening to WQXR. Thank you. 
that was the the girl with the flaxen hair prelude from the first book of preludes um it's so quintessential debussy it's incredible that he wrote most of these preludes in a day imagine what kind of a day it's a fantastic piece you know somehow wandering on this beautiful line between the dreamy and the tangible and the dreamy is i think reflected in all this you know pentatonic stuff just from the you know the all the all the black keys on the on the keyboard as opposed to the more conventional more tangible harmonies I think that World's Fair he went to had a lot made a big impression. I it certainly did. Yeah. And he was a guy who would always be looking sort of outside of music for for influence and you know, surrounded himself by poets and painters and 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 it's it's reflected so beautifully in the music. Vikinger Olafsson is the pianist. I'm Terence McNair here with you on WQXR. Mm, so many records, so little time, man. You've done That's true. Philip Glass. You've recorded some music by Sebastian Bach. I was just watching your technique. I'm wondering, do you approach playing Debussy or Rameau with that same style? No. Technique is such a such an open term. Uh, I think... You, yeah, you cannot play the music of Philip Glass like you play the music of, of Rameau or if you play the music of, of, of Debussy. But certainly in terms of sound, um, I very much believe in the texture of sound and the, and the three-dimensionality, hopefully, of sound. And uh, when you play the piano, um, I think it is important to think of this kind of distance in sound. So the layers of the texture and, and, and what you can create and the kind of... Yeah, the kind of three-dimensionality of it all. Uh, so in a way, it's not completely different, but you know, the the world of Philip Glass requires something very different from the world of Debussy, for sure. Can you talk a little bit about like the French school of piano playing. Is that what we're talking about? Is that the kind of difference we're talking about? Yeah, I think the schools of piano playing, in a way, when we think about like a French school. I don't even believe in that because I don't think you should play Debussy the same as you play Ravel. And I don't think you should play Ravel the same as you play Eric Satie. And you shouldn't play Eric Satie like you play, uh, you know, Gabriel Fauré or Camille Saint-Saëns. So it's, it's, it's all requiring different stuff. And you should think more like, I think, a composer like Debussy and try to find, you know, the style that is right for each piece. So, you know, even if it's the same composer, the style might be so different, required, the te- te- technique and the listening. So so I think that's, you know, that's the most important thing in music, to, to, to never do things on automatic, to never just simply do things like they have been done before, but always look for what makes each piece into what it is. That was my guest, pianist Vickinger Olofsson. His new album, WC Rameau, is just out on Deutsche Grammophon and all streaming platforms. We'll be dropping more interviews over the next couple of weeks, so sign up to hear them. WQXR, Classical New York, and Conversation. Wherever you get your podcasts, 
and keep an eye out on wqxr.org.